Hello, and welcome to an all-new episode of Press YYZ. We're the only Canadian gaming podcast that you can catch live on Twitch every Wednesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, as well as on podcast services of your choice. Um, and YouTube every Thursday. My name's Nathan McEnery. How are you guys doing out there tonight? I'm joined by Cozy. Cozy, how are you doing? I'm doing quite well, Nathan. It's real cold outside today in Montreal. Ooh, yeah. Uh, we we haven't been as cold, but it's been cold. How about uh, alongside Cozy, I have with me AJ. AJ, how are you doing this fine evening? I'm doing all right. It is a wee bit nipply outside, but not too nipply. Excellent. I feel like I'm in extra host mode because I've been hosting stuff for work online again. So. Ooh. Yeah, extra so, host mode. Um, y- your voice changes and everything. You have to talk differently. My wife says it's fake, but that's how, how you have to do it. Before haters, we get started, ha- only haters will say it's fake. Only haters. It's true. Uh, before we get started, as a reminder, we here at Press YYZ stand against discrimination of any kind. And while we do appreciate, however, you choose to give back to the show, there's no better su- way to support us than being excellent to each other. So let's um, just go through a bit of quick housekeeping here. Um, I'm playing more Lego Dimensions uh, tomorrow. So I had a lot of fun playing Lego Dimensions last week. Um, Cozy, you thought my cam setup was all right? Yeah, I thought you did a good job. So um, I set up a separate Lego cam where I actually took all the Lego apart prior to um, prior to like the stream and built it all on stream as per the game intended. So we didn't miss anything. So there was a lot of Lego building getting that portal built. Um, but yeah, no, we had a, a good time. We got through, what, with the first level, you're in the Wizard of Oz and you're fighting the Wicked Witch of the West. And then the second level, you um, go into the Simpsons, uh, into Springfield and the Simpsons. And it's got a really cool, unique art style. Um, so yeah, no, a ton of fun um, playing it. Cozy, you said you were thinking about booting it up. Did you get a chance to boot it up? Uh, no, I did not get a chance to boot it up yet. I promise absolutely positively, uh, that I will commit to trying it at some point over the course of the next week or so. Uh, cause I got it from the one and only Mr. Mitch George, uh, who couldn't join us tonight. Uh, I want to say at some point last year, all the pandemic years at this point are blurring together. Uh, and I do want to uh, give it a shot because I think that it would be great if we could both share our top uh, thoughts on the game all at once on the podcast in the future. Yeah, no, 100%. I think that'd be fun. Um, I really forgot how much I enjoyed Lego Dimensions. It's probably one of the more fun Lego experiences. I am super I do want to say uh, very oh, quickly, ahead. do you have the Portal 2 uh, Lego Dimension set? Do I have the Portal 2 Lego Dimension set? Yes, it seems like you do. Oh, uh, yeah. Unfortunately, uh, while Mitch, you know, graciously provided me with uh, much of his Lego Dimensions collection, uh, he did not have the Portal Two stuff. Which, to be totally frank and honest, is like the, the one Lego Dimensions uh, set that I want more than anything else. Um, but you know, I- I'm sure that I'll probably figure out something at some point. What hold, about hold on a sec. future? Uh, hold on a sec, Nathan. Hold that up again. Oh. There we go. Yeah, DeLorean. We got it uh, too close. We got a DeLorean going there, so I'm super excited to get into the Back to the Future. I honestly have like probably 15 or 20 different sets for LEGO Dimensions. So there's a lot of content I can mine here. 
So, do you have all of them? Not all of them. That'd be a little crazy. But if you look, this is just some of what I have in this box. I've got a whole other shelf of uh, other LEGO Dimension stuff, including I've got a few of the actual portal changes that include the characters from the Lego Batman movie and like the right. Batwing and it's got the Bat Robin and uh, the Doctor Who set I think in a Harry Potter no not Harry Potter it was what's that other not Harry Potter Harry Potter Fantastic Swiss... Beasts and Where to Find Them I, I was about I mean, to say Swiss Army Harry man. Potter universe so yeah the Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them I've got that portal set too the only one I didn't get was the Ghostbusters one that they did with the um when they did the was it the 2016 reboot with the uh, ladies yes that's correct because i've been using the trailer for that uh for the lego dimensions game for our weekly advertisements of what we're doing on stream and those four women show up in the trailer so yes it's the 2016 one yeah i do actually have i needed a ghostbuster because i needed uh one one character with the ability to suck up ghosts. So I do have uh, Venkman um, yeah. as the individual set. So yeah, no, I've got a lot of sets here um, that I'm excited to mine some con content out of um, and see what we can do. There's a thousand gold bricks in that game. Wow. Yeah, uh, I'm kind of considering trying to get them all, but I might have to buy more sets. And if that's the case, I probably won't because trying to buy them now is insane. Um, okay. So we've talked about Lego Dimensions. Um, our, so this week we're going to be talking about Telling Lies, which is our Press YYZ review game. There were better ideas for names. Both Kyle and uh, Alex, fans of the show, gave us better names than that. So we should really look into that. Um, but anyway, so we're doing Telling Lies tonight. But Unpacking uh, is going to be our game next week. It's supposed to be a small, simple game which doesn't take up a lot of time so very easy to play it was suggested by friend of the show kyle um darth stridius on on twitter so uh yeah i think we're gonna give that a shot apparently it's an easy thousand gamer score so yeah uh Should and then you, you're not streaming anything cozy uh no i will not be uh I, i'll definitely you know I, I do definitely enjoy streaming on the channel but when i do so i want it to be for a special occasion so don't worry you've definitely not seen the last of me just doing my own solo streams here it just it'll be for a special occasion it'll be for a special occasion okay oh hey look who else i found <gasps> homer simpson Ooh. so lego makes me really happy i don't know what it is I mean, there's so, just I mean, something real special about seeing your yeah. favorite or not even even in some cases, not favorite movies made into little miniature sets. It, earlier, we were talking about the 2016 Ghostbusters, like say what you will about that movie. Owning Lego versions of them is still pretty cool. Yeah, no, that's true. Um, so, yeah. So let's get started. Um, so let's talk about what we've been playing, because um, I think for the most part, we're going to be talking about telling lies here. Now, AJ, I'm going to start with you because you don't have anything written on the sheet. What have you been yeah. playing? Uh, unpacking in real life. Yes. Mostly. Oh, yeah. You moved, obviously. So. Yeah. So I haven't exactly had a lot of free time in this whole new world of adulting that I've been in. Um but, you know, I did play a little, a little bit of, um, we'll call it solitaire. Yes. Um, but yeah, no, I have, I like, other than like Wordle, you know, like 
it's just been like unpacking boxes. We got our display shelves out in the main room, uh, pretty well full. And it's just nice. a, for me, a little bit of like box tidy up. I still got a couple cables for my computer that I'm missing in okay. some of these boxes, but, um, yeah, I, uh, almost, almost done, almost settled in this house. So yeah, right, perfect. Sweet. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, no problems. Well, Cozy, why don't you tell me a bit about Birth by Sleep? Tell me about the, oh, I know these Aqua, Ventus, and Heatwave. Heatwave. Uh, it's Heatwave, right? did, did you say that on, did you say that on purpose? No. Um, well, I did say Heatwave on purpose because I just couldn't remember the name of the third character. The third character's name is Terra, which I was hopeful that Tara. you would get that one because... Terra is actually the name of another classic Final Fantasy character from Final Fantasy 3, a.k.a. 6. Six, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, Birth by Sleep, you know, this is one of those games that I played back in the day on the PSB, back when it was a UMD and the loading times were atrocious, and I loved it then. Uh, I played it once again when it came to uh, PlayStation 3 as part of the 2.5 HD Remix Collection and enjoyed it there. And, you know, the 20th anniversary of Kingdom Hearts is coming up. There's going to be a big concert celebration thing. Maybe we'll get more information about uh, what Sora and his pals are going to be doing in the unimaginable city of Quadratum at the time. Uh, and so I figured, you know what, why not uh, check out the PlayStation 4 version of Kingdom Hearts Birth by Sleep? Um, and to be honest, there's not really a whole lot to say other than that it's Kingdom Hearts Birth by Sleep. It's a PSP game that was made into a PS3 game that was ported to the PlayStation 4, and it's pretty fun. Um, but it is also pretty quaint because it was made for the PSP. I remember playing it when I got my PS when I bought my second PSP because I think I traded my first one in at one point. Um, but yeah, no, I like remember liking Birth by Sleep for the most part. It had is it Alice in Wonderland? Do you go to Wonderland in that one? You don't actually. No. Okay. Well, I'm not no, going to take the, stabs at what I don't know. So uh, if we're, I was not expecting to talk about this game a whole lot, but seeing as how you're engaging with it, I figure I might as well go through with it. So the worlds in Kingdom Hearts Birth by Sleep are, um, you have the Land of Beginnings, which is sort of like the starting area. It's basically it, within the Kingdom Hearts universe, AJ, Keyblade wielders, yeah. the people that wield the Keyblade are kind of like Jedi, where there are like a very few select amount of them. And they kind of train in seclusion at these worlds sort of, that are sort of designed for them to be you know, in isolation and away from everything else. Uh, okay. Then from there, you have worlds based on Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, Sleeping Beauty, and Cinderella. The idea is oh, that Birth I'm by Sleep... Sleeping Beauty. Birth by Sleep is a prequel to all of the Kingdom Hearts games uh, that previously had come before it. And so they specifically decided to go with, like, some of the earlier Disney properties for what they would base their worlds off of. Uh... Then you have a world called Radiant Garden, uh, which would later on become the world known as Hollow Bastion in Kingdom Hearts 1. 
Uh, it's at the time of Kingdom Hearts 1, this sort of like decrepit, corrupted world. But in this game, you get to see what it looks like before that. Uh, Then you have Mickey's Toontown, which is, you know, Mickey's Wild Toontown, where a bunch of kind of so-so minigames take place. Uh, You've got a world based off of Peter Pan. You've got uh, Olympus Coliseum, because seemingly every single game has some version of uh, Olympus and Hercules' world. Uh, And you also, the one modern, like, movie world that you have in the game is the spaceship from Lilo and Stitch, it's basically flying uh, around the kind of cosmos, the sort of sea of worlds that make up the universe of Kingdom Hearts. And at is one it point like you a end gummy up on ship? ship. Something like that. They, they don't really kind of like the, the whole idea with the Kingdom Hearts universe is that all these individual Disney worlds are existing in seclusion from each other. They don't know of the existence of other worlds beyond their own. But clearly there are a lot of characters running around in the world that do know about the fact that they are existing in a sea of different worlds and are knowledgeable of ways to travel between them. It gets a little bit convoluted to say the least. I don't know if you guys knew that about kingdom hearts. Yes, I'm aware. Okay. This seems like enough kingdom. No hearts idea. Talk. So we'll no cut idea. it off here. I, I do want to say um, uh, not talking about the game, but just how I got into the game. Like, I'm pretty certain, I want to say that like the only reason why I even got a PSP in the first place was to play Birth by Sleep. I was a pretty big Kingdom Hearts fan coming off of 1 and 2 and Chain of Memories, and I remember I got a PSP 1000 series from EB Games, uh, brought it home, it was bricked. Returned it to EB Games, paid 20 extra dollars update to a PSP 2000 series, and that worked until years later its battery burst out of its britches. Um, but yeah, I remember, uh, birth by sleep, God of war, chains of Olympus and God of war, ghost of Sparta were the only three games that I played on that PSP. Yep. Wow. Interesting. All right. Well, um, so before we jump into our bigger review of telling lies, I'll just say, uh, broken sword five is on games with gold. Go download it. Broken Sword is a really cool adventure game series, and I haven't played this one, and I'm like two hours into it. I just started it yesterday. It's fantastic so far. Uh, if you like old school point and click adventure games, uh, it's a lot of fun. So, all right, let's talk Telling Lies by Sam Barlow. Sam Barlow, the director. Now, if you guys aren't familiar with Telling Lies, it is a full motion video game with actors and you kind of are scouring video clips. Um, it's made by this creator of her story. Now, did you guys play her story? Did not play her story. Did not play it. Okay. I really enjoyed her story. And I think this is going to be, um, you and I talked or you met asked yesterday because I started telling lies last night at like 11 PM and finish it at just after one o'clock in the morning. Um, and then cleaned up the trophies this morning. Uh, Cozy, how much time did you put into it? Because you said you got everything. Now, did you play on Xbox or PlayStation? Uh, I actually played on PlayStation. Uh, I've yeah, been playing most of our. It. I've been playing most of our YYZ reviewy games on Xbox because they're all usually available via Xbox Game Pass. So no yep. skin off my back to purchase them. Um, in this case, however, I just did a kind of quick cursory search on the PlayStation Store to see how much it costs there. Normally it costs $25, but it was on sale for $8. And so I figured, oh. you know what? Might as well 
uh, I was going to say cost a couple of cocks. I meant to say what? toss what? a couple of bucks Sam Barlow's way. Uh, okay. Good job. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I, maybe I shouldn't have said what I was going to say. Maybe that would have made that a little bit better. Uh, yeah, in maybe. any case, uh, I, I got to say, I spent maybe a grand total of, I want to say, five hours of the game. It was very much kind of a start and stop thing where I would take breaks and take care of other chores here and there. Uh, but overall, I would say a pretty well spent $8 without diving into my spoilers right here and now. Okay. And um, AJ, how much time have you put into it? So I put in uh, maybe about an hour. So really, okay. I've only kind of scratched the surface. Um, how far in the game did you get time wise? Because there is an internal clock system. Yeah, um, I don't re I don't recall the, the exact time um yeah because what's interesting with it is depending on the keywords you you input um not you know we'll we'll talk more about exactly like the setup of this game um but depending on the the keywords you input like there's definitely um you you might accidentally reveal something that you don't have any real context for right away and i forget i forget what i entered but there was a scene with two characters and a gunshot yes very very you're talking about. that happened very very early on and i was a little bit confused as to okay wait a minute how the hell did we get here at the very least i feel like i'm invested now because okay. i'm like what the hell's going on so like for me it worked out you know a little more positively but um, you know, that's not to say <laughs> that now, that's not to say that, that that everybody will have that experience. So we probably don't want to talk spoilers, correct? Yeah. yeah. And, like, here's the thing. Like, I don't necessarily know that uh, us needing to talk about spoilers is necessary for at least me to talk about what I did and didn't like about this game. Yep. Like, I, I feel like I can, I can talk in generalities and kind of explain everything that I kind of felt over the course of playing this. Um, yeah, I'm curious, Nathan, you said that you managed to kind of finish in like about two hours. Did you yep. like preemptively like try to like log out of your session when you felt like you had reached a certain amount of playtime or did you like see it all the way through to like the early hours of the day? Because I noticed that you had the option throughout the game to seemingly log off at any point that you wanted to. Um, but I did not go with that option. Yeah, I know. I just kept going. Um, basically, I okay. got rolled credits on it. Um, I started it. at like 11 and I played till I rolled credits. So got it. Um, it, it's a good game. Um, I, so AJ kind of alluded to the gameplay, but essentially you're sitting at a computer and you're going over camera footage um, from uh, like a NSA. An, an, like, an, you're like, a, yeah, there's like, secret conversations recorded between this group, like these, these people, these four this, people, these are focused people. on four people. Yeah. Yeah. So very, very early on, um, you know, it's just a dude, he's like living in an apartment or whatever. Um, and you, you know, it's, it's fairly er quickly revealed that, you know, he, he's having a conversation with his wife. You are only getting one side of the conversation per video right so it's you kind of like 
you will stumble upon um, the 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 other side of the conversation later on based on you what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to like listen to what the person is saying and try and pick out some keywords. Yep. You go into this search search function and then that will bring up um, that that will bring up other videos where that that word that you search for that keyword was also said, right? It starts you off with the word love, right? And mm -hmm. so it's videos of like uh, what appear to be you know, two people expressing that, you know, they love each other or whatever. And then through that, you try and like, listen, oh, hey, where did, where else did somebody say apartment or something like that? Or, yep. you know, and, and later on it gets revealed that, you know, this person's got a family life and that's as far as I will, I will say, uh, the story wise in that, in that game, but, uh, somebody's lying. And that, your goal is, to, I guess, to figure out who. So, yes and no, I think, to a point. So, here's the thing. Sure. This game is on a timer. And this game ends at 5 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Okay. It's time. No matter what you've discovered or what you haven't discovered, it ends at 5 o'clock in the morning. Got it. Um, and you kind of get the ending no matter what. So, you're on a timer for how long it takes. Um, what does happen is um, at the end of the game, you'll get one of like four different endings or three different endings based on the characters you spent the most amount of time with. Okay. So, um, so yeah, so no, you're a hundred percent like there is, and there's more than one lie. There's several things going on, especially once you start digging into the backstory. It's really interesting. They tell the story out of order because mm. is, I think the first keyword was love. Yes. When you start the game. Which, and as I understand it, is like a reference to her story, which Sam Barlow did previously. That game starts out in like a similar kind of fashion. Yeah. So so you've got that in there. Um, this is just to show you. So I actually took uh, notes, copious notes about all the keywords. There, there is a lot of notes, too. There is a notepad function in the game. Can you show oh, it again really? real quick, Nathan? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there is. So, so I've been was, taking notes um, in the game. I was aware of the notepad functionality too, but I elected to take notes on my phone just because it was a little bit easier. The thing about this game's interface is that it's constructed to resemble a kind of really elaborate and true to life, like actual, yeah. like you guys uh, were actually computer. You guys screen. were also playing on, on console. I was playing on my PC. So oh, yeah, made, that, that made would a make lot a difference. more sense for me. Yeah. I can imagine also like, playing on tablet or iPhones or whatever would probably make that pretty easy as well. Possibly. So, um, so yeah, so you're finding these keywords, you're using them, you're discovering more of the story. And really, um, it's funny because you talked about how you're only hearing one side of the conversation. You hear the other yep. sides of the conversations at other points. Yes. Once you get the different keywords, like you're like, as you, as you find keywords and stuff. Yeah. You, you yeah. will reveal the other side of the conversation. It's like, oh, now I'm getting it. Because your big thing is, is you're just trying to figure out the relationships and who these characters are even at the beginning of the game. Because um, you don't really know their names. So you start hearing names said, and then like my biggest thing was like, let's get the names, let's search the names. And so I can get a better idea of who is who. 
um, yeah, and their it, relationships between each other. What's very kind of clever about the game's design is that certain keywords that seem very kind of innocuous end up having kind of multiple uses or will pop up in multiple different places. Uh, a very kind of very minor spoiler is, for example, uh, in an early tape that you might come across, uh, two of the characters are talking about Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, the yep. Disney movie. And some well, of those keywords uh, that come from the title of that movie end up coming up in a completely different context for a completely different reason in some other tapes. And if you so happen to just type in Snow White, you might end up down a completely different rabbit hole completely disconnected from the two people talking in that one scenario. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I had a lot of fun with it. Um, it is, does resemble a computer. Now we taught you, you hinted that you played solitaire. I'm assuming that's the solitaire in this game is what you're referring to. Yeah. And Agent? I've, uh, yeah. And I've been inspired to open the actual solitaire on my computer as I, so I can practice when I'm so, not playing the game, like I was just doing that beforehand, and then I want to kind of. So you beat the solitaire, right, Cozy? Because you platinumed it. I played it just once, just so I could get the trophy. Oh, really? You were able to do it in one shot? Lucky you. No, not when I say just once. I mean, I only opened up the solitaire app just to get that. I was not. It took me like a good like 20, 30 minutes. Yeah, I was just saying, I was probably similar. So, AJ, the reason why Solitaire is much harder in this version, there's yeah. a missing king. Oh, I didn't I didn't notice that. And the trophy or achievement says the game is rigged. Okay. So you're one less king, which is why you can't get it. I actually used king as a search word, which I think gave mm. me a starting point at that point. Um, Because uh, I was like, oh, that's interesting. So yeah, that's why the uh, solitaire is much harder is just because there is no king in it. So if you are playing and you're feeling frustrated, you're like, I'm good at like this should I should have solved one of these. It's going to take a few shots before I, you get it. I didn't I didn't get far enough in to like notice that there was you know a missing king in my solitaire runs. I did like two or three refreshes of it, and mm -hmm. I just kept getting stuck because that's sometimes the luck of the card draw. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. Well, and I didn't know it till I beat beat it and then i was missing the one king like i finally got as much as i could done and was missing that one king spot so um so yeah um so but yeah it's it's a really fun game i like how it simulates the com computer i love the acting i think the acting was really done well um i'm blanking on the guy's name uh i've got the wikipedia pulled up here uh, but david it's yeah david he was in spider-man he played the shocker in Spider-Man Homecoming. The, the shocker one or shocker two? Shocker one? Because uh, Logan Marshall shock, Green. Shocker one gets killed and then shocker two takes his place. No, he's shocker one. Okay. He's shocker one. Um, yeah, Logan uh, Marshall Green. And actually, I believe he helped with some of the movie itself. Or some of the game in terms of the filming. But yeah, he was in Spider-Man, um, the OC, uh, very early on. I believe he played Ryan's brother in the OC. Um, so he's he's had some credits. Um, alongside him, you also had the actresses Alexandria Shipp, who was new to me. Um, but who did, then Who did she play? Uh, she played Ava. Okay. And then Carrie Beach. 
Um, she actually, uh, well, I think most people know her from Halt and Catch Fire, but she was also, uh, of course, this is where I know her from. She was in the last and not the one not good season of Scrubs as a replacement ah. for JD. Um, but I, I always liked her from that, uh, from that. She played Lucy in that show. So, um, so she was in it and she, like, I think all the acting was really good. And then, uh, you had, um, I don't want to say her name because it's complicated, but the Michelle. Yes. I think that's what Nathan is referring to. I, I understand. I understand. So that is something that I figured out accidentally, whatever you're alluding to is like, and so like, that's like intriguing me to uh, continue forward at some point. I I just want to say, uh, with with regards to the acting, Nathan, you know, I remember when uh, 12 minutes came out last year, Mm -hmm. was it called 12 minutes? The the game where you're Okay. I was concerned that I might've gotten it wrong because I knew that it was a small number of minutes, but I didn't remember if it was five minutes, if it was seven minutes. Uh, It is indeed 12 minutes. Um, I remember when that game came out last year, there was an article that kind of called out the kind of use of Daisy Ridley and uh, Willem Dafoe and some of the other actors in that game basically being like, hey, these are all talented actors and they give good performances in this game, but ultimately their presence here ultimately just feels a little bit on the gimmicky side. Like they don't necessarily like make the game all that more exceptional by being a part of it here. I really do feel like all of the actors uh, present in this experience really kind of elevate it. And I don't feel like it would have been the same without their kind of talents. Yeah, that's true. uh, I am getting, What's really what what's really interesting about only getting one side of the conversation is the fact that, you know, they they could be talking to anybody and you have no idea. Yeah. And by the looks of it, like they don't have any anything in their ears, like headphones or anything like telling them what to say. And they all seem to be reacting appropriately to whatever is being said on the opposite side of the conversation. And when you get that other side of the conversation, now, I'm not sure if you unlock something where you can piece two, two pieces of conversation together to actually see it or if anybody's like actually put them together on YouTube or something. But oh, I get yes. the vibe that, yeah, I get the vibe that, um, that it, it is done masterfully well. Like it seems like they're taking the right amount of space for the other character to say their their piece and then move on. So I don't know if they line up perfectly, but it it seems good from my opinion. And by the way, just to quickly clarify, the reason why I brought up 12 minutes of all games to bring up is because that game, like this game, was developed, uh, not developed, published by Annapurna Interactive. And I know that's been a a criticism that some people have had of Annapurna's games, that they often employ like big name Hollywood celebrity talent, and it doesn't always feel absolutely necessary. This game, it definitely felt necessary. Yeah, so... So, yeah, no. So I'm a big fan. I think the acting was on point. I think the I really like like and this is the same concept they use for her story. I really wish her story came to consoles. I don't believe it ever did. Um, Uh, Did it? Maybe. Mm, I don't know. Android, iOS and Windows. Oh, really? Uh, Yeah. So 
her story is just one woman. Um, and you're, it's a very similar concept. Um, as you're trying to get to the truth, but um, I, rem I, I remember, I remember hearing at the end of her story, uh, like not the end of her story, but it's like, it doesn't actually tell you definitively as to what happened, mm -hmm. if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And so it's like kind of up to you to, to figure it out. Um, would you guys say that this one actually gives like a, you, you kind of know the truth at the end of this or yes. you, okay. It's you, like there, there is, there is a definite answer to the story and it's not ambiguous. So I found, I want to say the actual ending in a character's fate, probably about halfway through my playtime. Okay. But, and like that, and I was like, okay, wow. Um, but then I still had to figure out the pieces and how we got to that point. Yeah. Nathan is absolutely correct in that this game is very clear in re revealing, you know, what became of certain characters and what's actually going on. What I do want to say, though, is that like this game and your kind of enjoyment of it very much hinges on you kind of accepting that this is not about like uncovering the one secret conversation that you've been looking yeah. for. When I first booted this game up, I was semi under the impression that, okay, this woman is uh, going through these secretly, secretly recorded videos because she's looking for the one kind of golden chicken uh, amidst all the videos that will reveal what she's looking for. It's really not that it's really about kind of searching through the videos and trying to kind of come up with, the kind of realest possible narrative that you want to uh, believe uh, of the events that happened between these characters over the course of the years that their sort of story took place. The, the game is called Telling Lies, and I think what you as the kind of player are meant to do is sort of to sort through these lies and figure out, you know, what is the most truthful truth that I want to tell given the limited amount of time that I have to scrounge videos together to reflect that truth. Got it. So, yeah. Cool. Um, yeah, no, I think so. We don't really have a review scale for these games. How have we done this in the past? When we've, we've just uh, been, we've, we've if you've completed it, like uh, it's been like out of five, like that was our kind of review scale. Okay. Um, and if you haven't completed it, you know, you kind of, at least in my opinion, kind of abstain. Yeah, that's fair. We have been giving uh, our past game stars. If anybody else wants to recommend, like, uh, another, like, something out of something that we could do, by all means. But I'm fine with sticking to stars for now. Okay. How um, many poops out of butts? How about that? No. Okay. Well, I tried. Uh, um, should we have a girthy meter? Mm, no, nah. because I feel like that could really <laughs> that could really backfire upon us in some yeah. cases. Like I would I would have no I have no issue being like, oh, man, it, uh, what was the game that we did from Drinkbox? Nobody saves the world. I would have yeah. no problem being like, oh, man, nobody saves the world gets three out of five girthies. Um, but this game, it's like, hmm, given some of the subject matter, I would feel a little bit for game of the year weird about it. Yeah, that's the fair. girthies. Yeah. Uh, I'll just um, go ahead and, and say this game is four out of five stars for me. I think it's uh, really strong and I think really kind of emotionally uh, resonant, especially if you kind of really kind of put your all into it, into, 
investing yourself in the characters and trying to kind of really craft the truthful narrative from it that you want to see. But it is very much one of those games where you kind of have to be down with what it is. Uh, if you're not down with the idea of you're just scrolling through videos and you're trying to kind of like create what you think is right without the game definitively telling you what is right or wrong, then might not be for you. But even then, give it a shot. Cool. Yeah, I think I fall in the four to five category as well. I think um, I think it's really good. And I, I don't even know what we count a five versus a four. We should talk at some point about what our scale looks like. Um, I don't think it has to necessarily stand for anything specific. Yeah, that's but true. Um, but yeah, just, no. I, yeah. I think this to is, interpretation. Yeah, Sorry. 100%. Go ahead. No, don't worry. We keep interrupting each other. It's all good. It happens. Yep. Um, so I think it's a four out of five for me as well. I think the acting's really strong. Um, I think the narrative is really good, uh, especially once you start piecing together. I really love that these have you piecing a narrative together and you're getting different points of how it happened. And like I saw the very end of the video um, and then was still trying to figure out how we got to that point and telling me the story. And it didn't feel like I lost anything at all. It just felt like I was reading a book out of order, which was kind of cool actually. Um, so yeah, no, uh, I think it's really strong uh, to Cozy's point, And I think the game Telling lies doesn't do a good job of actually telling you the goal. And I think that's where Cozy felt a little bit confused because they just kind of, you turn it on and you're at a computer and you the program's opened uh, to do the searching and it has the word love in there and you hit search and you kind of have to figure out how it works from that. Um, but it doesn't hold your hand in telling you like how to get the keywords. It doesn't tell you that you can use the hyperlinks in the text and actually click on, like if you see a word, click on it. There's a, there's a PDF document. There's a PDF document that you can spend some time scrolling through that explains all that, but it's kind of, it, it literally is a PDF document. So if you're a fan of PDFs, you can do that. Um, I love this. It, it is, it's intentionally unglamorous basically is the point. Yeah. But um, yeah, no, I, telling lies was a lot of fun. And for what I put two and a bit hours to get all the achievements. So it's a easy breezy, quick playthrough. So I suggest you give it a shot. Um, and apparently we are going to get another game from Sam Barlow later this year. Oh, I have not heard of this. Yes. I was looking it up. It's called immortality. It was announced last year at E3. It's scheduled for release on windows in 2022. So we'll see what happens with consoles. Um, but just a little synopsis here. The game is based on a fictional actress, Marissa Marcel, who has starred in three movies, but they were never released. She's gone missing, creating a mystery for the player to solve. So we've got to, so you got to go through it all. Uh, Hmm. and he brought on three additional screenwriters to help write the movie. Um, and there could be more of a horror themed nature to this one, which I don't know if I love or don't love, but, Hmm. uh, we'll see. So, yeah, so more on uh, the bonus. But, yeah, I think we all really like the game. So that's good to hear. And a- the fact that AJ, while he hasn't fully beaten it, is interested in going back and playing more of it, I think that's a strong recommendation even from his point. Because he's I curious. agree. Yeah. So. But, well, I mean, like, I, I feel like I, I've been saying that. I've been busy, you know, mm-hmm. um, over the last few weeks and a bunch of the 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 review stuff 
stuff that we've we've kind of participated in and so i haven't exactly had the amount of time that i've wanted to to put into something like that um i i it's yeah i i think i think this is a good another good one for another good one that i i would really like to sit rachel in front of and and i hope she's taking notes when she listens to this um and just sort of see how she does. Yep. So. All right. Sweet. Okay. Well, that's uh, Telling Lies. We'll be coming back to unpacking in two weeks. So um, I'm looking forward to playing that. Uh, I know Kyle has done his praises on it, so I'm very excited to try it. In the meantime, let's transition into armchair designing the future of Metroid Prime. So, Cozy, you said you're going to take the lead here on this one, um, as I'm a Metroid Prime, uh, never touched him. So why don't you tell me a bit? Yeah. So this particular topic of the show was partially inspired by one of the biggest stories in gaming of all time from this past week. Uh, that Cyberpunk that. getting dropped on PlayStation 5. Nope. Bigger than that, even bigger than that, even Uh, it was the fact that Retro Studios finally updated uh, their Twitter banner to be what appears to be a silhouette of Samus standing in some sort of environment and not a whole lot else. And needless to say, big if true. Yeah. Uh, needless to say, the internet uh, went abuzz with conspiracy theories and hype over this. Uh, ultimately, this doesn't really mean all that much in the grand scheme of things. I think it does like pretty much confirm that we will get some sort of Metroid Prime 4 related announcement this year. But I feel like that was already kind of a foregone conclusion even before this. Uh, fingers crossed. Uh, but nevertheless, with, you know, Metroid Prime 4 seemingly now looming much closer on the horizon, I figured we might as well sit down and chat a little bit about our histories with the Metroid Prime series and sort of what we are hoping to kind of see from the future of the series slash how we'd like to see it improve, how slash, you know, what our greatest sort of hopes, fears are for Metroid Prime 4 specifically. Um, In the past, you know, I've very much uh, talked about how much I, you know, love the Metroid Prime series, how uh, I've been playing it for a real long time and have a lot of love for it. I actually have something to confess uh, right here on this podcast, which is that my love for Metroid is real. The the fact that I've played most of the Metroids is real. However, would you believe it if the first Metroid game that I played was actually not Metroid Prime 1, not Super Metroid, but actually Metroid Prime 3. Um, the oh, wow. year was 2008. It's an interesting place to start. I... It could have been worse. He could have said Other M. Yeah, well, we'll talk about that later. Um, the year was 2008. I believe I was inside either a Sears or maybe a Zellers. I'm going to say it was Zellers. And uh, I remember seeing Metroid Prime 3 sitting on a store shelf. I remember that uh, IGN and some other uh, gaming outlets had reviewed that game very favorably. I picked it up, brought it home, and just had a whale of a time. And from there, thanks to the 
you know, uh, Wii's Virtual Console and the Metroid Prime Trilogy, which released the year after, it was pretty easy for me to check out every subsequent game that the series had to offer. Um, but I just wanted to bring that up uh, up front to state that while I have played most of what the series has to offer, my the way in which I was introduced to it was... Uh, pretty unorthodox and i fully admit that it has very much kind of colored the way that i see the series and what i want out of it because metro prime 3 definitely a little bit more narrative based than some of the other prior metroid prime games uh people talk about other m as being the only metroid game with voice acting but prime 3 actually does have voice acting as well just not for samus uh and so when i look forward to what i want out of the feature of the metroid prime series um like there being a little bit more of a cinematic flair to it, there being voice acting, rank a little bit higher on my list of priorities than I know it, it might rank for some other people. Um, AJ, before we go any Hi. deeper into talking about the Metroid Primes, I know we've, myself and Nathan, have talked a lot on this podcast thus far. Like, what's your history with the Metroid Primes? Um, So me the original Metroid Prime, I got that, you know, when it came out in 2002? Yes, that's correct. I think, yeah. So I would have been 12 years old that Christmas when I got it. Um, and I was absolutely blown away by the... the Partially the realism um, in, uh, in, in, in the game itself and... Also, how the, there there were a bunch of subtle details um, in that that just sort of like made the game feel more immersive. Um, one thing I'll note specifically is like when there was a bright flash of light in front of you, it reflected into your helmet, off of Samus's face, and you could for a brief moment see her eyes reflected back to you through the, the the reflectiveness of the inside of the visor. And there was something mind-blowing about that. Like, that was like... You remember when the, the 360 era, PS3 era came out and, like, everything was, like, shiny and, and sweaty and reflective? It was like... It felt like that level of detail. But yeah. on, the, on the GameCube. Like, it, it didn't need to happen. It didn't need to be there. But, but it was very much additive towards the immersion of Metroid Prime. It, um, it, it went such a long way to actually making you feel like you were a person in a kind of hulking suit of space armor and not just a gun attached to a camera, which is actually what you were if you could take the camera out of the scene. Absolutely. Um And, and many times you did that, like when you turn, would turn into a morph ball. Right. right? That's another and good so, point. Yeah. Um, so the it I had a hard time as a kid and unfortunately I didn't finish the first Metroid Prime and I didn't really go back to it. Um, there was one specific level um, where you were fighting this, I don't know, giant ice dog thing or whatever. Yeah, I think um, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, and I could not for the life of me get past it. And I don't know why. 
and I could I for some reason like for some reason I could not figure out what was happening. Um, I was also twelve, right? Mm. So there was right. a, a part of it that was just like I had played complicated games like Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask and everything before, but um, I don't know. There there was just something that 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 quite didn't quite and I tried for hours trying to deal with that part specifically but uh unfortunately i was just never able to get past it at the time um yep that's the, that's the kind of guy um and yeah, it, it what you're it, currently there, looking at there was on a screen, bigger one these are like the babies of the boss in question that you have to fight in between rounds or before yeah, you fight like the these, big mama these guys were easy yeah these guys were easy but the, it, it was the big one that just for some reason wouldn't cooperate like i remember i i like it's i i there was one point where i progressed further uh in that boss fight and i was like and this was after hours upon hours of uh, trying and attempting and like retreating and going back maybe there's something i missed like a, a an upgrade or whatever and i i couldn't figure it out for the life of me this was also like still in the era of of dial up internet and so getting online was not as easy as it is today and i couldn't just quickly look up a youtube video like as quickly as you did to try and figure it out but um yeah it it unfortunately like it kind of stopped there but i still look back fondly on on my experiences with it because things like the the grappling hook the 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 grapple beam or whatever um and and uh, you know switching between the missiles and stuff it it all felt good it also still felt really good on the gamecube controller not being a dual stick shooter this was a single stick shooter yeah like they didn't have enough yeah. they didn't have enough time or even foresight not only to create the GameCube controller with two equal sticks in, I mean, equal sticks in terms of size, not placement, but, um, it was also not like far enough past halo that to really like, I don't know, like kind of learn from halo and be able to implement a dual stick control design into the game and i if i'm not mistaken i believe in uh, metroid prime 2 they do allow dual stick control i only and, but you have to use the c stick with that and I, that's stupid i only ever played metroid prime 2 on the wii where they implemented uh, okay. the motion control setup so i can't confirm or deny got it uh speaking of metroid prime 2 though like what was your experience with the subsequent metroid prime games um, so Metroid Prime 2, I didn't actually play myself, but I watched somebody else not play through the whole thing, but, like, I kind of, like, I watched enough of it to kind of know it was more of the same, but also not really want to do it or play it because I, um, didn't finish the first one. But all, also, that didn't stop me from getting Metroid Prime 3, because I was super excited about the the Metroid with the Wii controls and being able to like point the Wii remote like a blaster and like uh, 
you know, use it that way. Right. But I did. I didn't make it through that one either. Gotcha. I got a bad habit with not finishing games. It happens. Maybe games they'll... don't get finished. Maybe yep. they'll re-release a couple of these games and we'll be able to make up for that. Uh, mm, it's Nintendo. They don't like to re-release stuff. That would be smart. We'll see. Uh, Nathan, I want to turn to you kind of very quickly. Your experience with the Metroid Prime series is a little bit more limited, as I understand it. It's none. Let's not even talk limited. Um, I just missed out on it. I think I had a GameCube, but I didn't love my GameCube. Um, it's when hmm. I started to fall out of love with Nintendo. Um, hmm. it just didn't click with me. Um, so do, oh, do go you ahead. think, sorry, just in general, do you think that has anything to do with, this isn't a pejorative, but your age at the time, were you just in the mood for something a little bit more mature because you were maturing because i think i think a lot of us kind of went through that like we didn't we like we we for me being a big zelda fit and nintendo fan i kind of wanted a more mature zelda and we kind of got that with twilight princess it wasn't perfect but it was better but did, did you kind of feel that like in general as you were growing up and going yeah. through that yeah i would have been in my like uh, 21 or 22 when it came out um, and I think um, the GameCube, well, there was, I can't even remember what I played, Mario RPG, or Paper Mario, Thousand Years Door. Yeah. Uh, Wind Waker, which I really did like. Um, but for the most part, most of my time was spent on PlayStation with games like Shadow of the Colossus, Grand Theft Auto, um, on the PS2 at the time. So, um, yeah, I think my focus definitely, like, I, I had aged up and the Nintendo had... And, for me, as a huge Mario fan, um, Mario Sunshine missed the mark so much. I wasn't interested in Luigi's Mansion. I just found the GameCube just didn't quite hit right for me. Sure. Um, so, and then I never got to Metroid Prime. Um, and then when it came to Wii, I didn't own a Wii until, like, it was at the end of its life cycle. Mm. Ugh. So I waited and waited because really, no, once again, I fell out of love with Nintendo. Nothing interested me on it. I had a PS3 at the time. The games were more mature. Um, we picked it up um, and I don't know. I played a few games on it, it but in, even to this day, my switch is there for indies and the occasional Nintendo game that grabs me like um, animal crossing, animal crossing or Mario odyssey. Um, so something happened along. I w and I was a diehard Nintendo kid. That's the funny part is I, had a Nintendo. I had a Super Nintendo. Uh, like Super Nintendo is still probably my favorite console. I think it's got like games that have aged so well. Um, where when you compare it against like the PlayStation One, those games have not aged well whatsoever. Um, so uh, I want to kind of follow up on a couple of things. First off, you yep. know, you talked Nathan about falling out of love with Nintendo with the GameCube. I mean, I feel like I was very much the same way with the Wii U, where there, are, in the same way, a lot of people swear by the GameCube's library. There are a lot of people that swear by uh, the Wii U's library and say, "Hey, you know, it had a lot of games." But ultimately, that was kind of where I fell out of love with Nintendo and definitely gave myself up to PlayStation a lot more in the same way that you gave yourself up to the PlayStation 2 a lot more during the GameCube yeah. era. What's, 
kind of interesting to me though is that like you, you mentioned how one of the things that you liked about the PS2 over the GameCube is that its catalog of games were a little bit more mature. Like I'd imagine that you were probably you know aware of the Metro Prime series at the time. What is it about Metroid Prime that didn't really appeal to you as somebody that was sort of looking for these sorts of more mature experiences? Like, sure, Metroid Prime takes place in a fantasy intergalactic world that's sort of, you know, uh, distant from a lot of the more kind of real world seriousness of something like a GTA, for example. But it is, it definitely does sort of scratch, it does scratch, it scratches that sort of more like mature Nintendo itch that not a lot of Nintendo games typically scratch. Like, do you remember what kind of didn't, drove you away or kind of result in this game just sort of flying over your head at the time? Yeah, so I think like specifically no, but... If I look back at it, like none of my friends, there was no chatter about Metroid Prime with like people I talked to, um, even in terms of I'm sure it was reviewed very well on video game sites, but it must not have gotten a lot of publication. Because I remember reading the reviews for Shadow of, uh, Shadows of the Colossus and running out and buying that game. So I could be swayed by like a review or feedback on something. Um but yeah, probably, honestly, then the biggest thing is I just hadn't played any Metroids. I never played Super Metroid. Mm. I never played Metroid. I didn't play any of the Game Boy ones. So it just felt like another one that I hadn't played. My parents didn't buy them for me when I was a kid. And at that point, uh, when the original Metroids came out, you play what your parents get you. So now if they did Cool Spot Prime, I think we'd have a different story. Well, that's a, certainly a callback to an earlier episode. Unfortunately, yeah, that's kind of the the weird legacy of Metroid Prime. Uh, last week, uh, we had special guest uh, Jacob McCourt on for a great episode in which we budgeted what we thought to be the best, most iconic games from the GameCube, PS2, original Xbox era. And I put the original Metroid Prime at the $5 tier, the highest tier, because I'm like, this is a game that really, you know, holds up and was great back then and is still great today. And that ended up being dropped off because we all kind of mutually agreed, like, yeah, it, as great as this game was, it just did not have as tremendous of a cultural impact at the time as you might think it would have had. Um, mm -hmm. I remember the year it came out, it was sort of like this sort of long-running kind of joke slash infamous moment that IGN gave Game of the Year to Battlefield 1942 over the original Metroid Prime, uh, which yeah, I know some people would contend, you know, make the case for 1942 over Metroid Prime 1 because, you know, they're kind of different experiences and one heralds this new age of competitive online multiplayer gaming. Um, but yeah, it really felt like Metroid Prime 1 kind of missed out on cashing in as like this sort of big kind of cultural touchstone, despite being this big cultural touchstone to a very select group of people. Yeah, I think that's fair. People who played Metroid Prime love it. Um, it just, I don't know. And I think Nintendo's made it really difficult to go back and play. Well, um, there is the yeah. Prime Collection, which I think is actually did come out on Wii, did it not? Yes, and it, it made yes. its way to the Wii U, I want to say. Yeah, I think that's right. 
which unfortunately will no longer be available next year, but that's a story for another time. Yes. Uh, so it, like it made its way to the, uh, like we, and it has been places, but it's kind of been stuck at the Wii U. There's been rumors about a Metroid prime col- uh, collection with the all three. I think there's a little bit of baggage when it comes to the Metroid prime games too. Cause my understanding is, well, one is really good Two in two and three introduce elements and that make it not as fun to play. Um, it's interesting because a while ago on Press Wise, we did a uh, podcast in which we ranked the best and worst video game sequels of all time. It wasn't best and worst. It was like, of all these good sequels, which ones are the best? Um, and I remember at the time, I made the case against Metroid Prime 2 being like, oh, this game didn't really do a whole lot. Um Recently, it's really funny. Over the course of the past year, there's kind of been a resurgence of people on Twitter being like, you know what? I love Metroid Prime 2. That was a good-ass game, and I feel like we only look back on it because it didn't do anything that like really exceptionally stood out as being all that different from Metroid Prime 1. But design-wise, it was great. Um, and then Metroid Prime 3, that's the one where it actually did get a little bit different. It got a little bit more linear, a little bit more story-focused, um, but that game is still really solid as well. Mm. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I think at some point I would like to play them. Like, I played Super Metroid for the first time earlier this year. Um, mm-hmm. Or last year. Last year. Yeah, um, end of last Super year. Metroid. Time is a flat yeah. circle. Um, so I played Super Metroid. I wouldn't mind playing them, um, but Nintendo needs to release them. And also, and I guess maybe what my big concern is, because we're going to talk about the armchair design, um, but uh, uh, aspect of it all. But I really want to see them do something with the controls that makes sense. Because my biggest fear is that they're going to release it and then it's not going to control well, or they're going to use the Switch like motion controls to play it. Okay, so the Wii. let's talk about that because that's a, a really good point uh, that I hadn't even considered going into this podcast. Uh, Metroid Prime 3 introduced motion controls to the series and I really enjoyed it at the time. It would be interesting to go back now and see how it controls nowadays. I remember really enjoying it then and I really liked how they implemented it into Metroid Prime 1 and 2. I would not be against if Nintendo announced, hey, uh, Metroid Prime 3, uh, sorry, Metroid Prime 4, you got the option of playing it with motion controls. But I feel like in the year 2027, whenever they're going to eventually release it, they have to also at least offer the option to play it with just dual sticks, right? Mm -hmm. They have to. They have to. Well, except... You thought they would have done that with um, Skyward Sword. Oh, yeah, that's true. And Skyward Sword got a really awkward, like, you have to hold a trigger to use the right to swipe your sword. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I I didn't end up playing it. I don't even remember. I didn't even get those sick Joy-Cons, so. Yeah, I mean... I'm definitely like, I don't have a qualm with uh, the Metro Prime series going back to just being dual six, but like, I think they had something really special with the way that they implemented motion controls in the third one onward. And I'd like to at least see them experiment 
somewhat in that area. I don't know where you guys stand. Um, personally, I want to stay them to stay away from motion controls. They're not. Uh, okay. But I'm not looking for it in my games. Uh, how how do you feel about the minimal motion control in something like Splatoon, where it's just fine tuning the aiming? Like, and maybe that's okay. Um, what is it? Um, uh, Forbidden West some, apparently does that yeah. as well. I was going to uh, say some PlayStation games I know have done that. But if it's a situation where I need to hold two Joy-Cons and one Joy-Con's aiming, like just by pointing, I'm not interested in it. Hmm. hmm. Yeah. So. Uh, I want to... Go Sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, Nintendo does weird things with motion controls. Sometimes it works. More often, it doesn't. Um, and I even like look back to Star Fox uh, Zero. Was it Zero? Uh, yes, that was the Wii U yeah. one. Yeah, that didn't turn out well, and that was all motion controls. Yeah, which what's funny about that is I remember during the early Wii U era, uh, people are like, oh man, they could make a really cool Metroid Prime game on the Wii U where you have to move around the Wii U gamepad in real 3D space to look around from the perspective of like Samus looking through her visor. I would have played that game and I would have had a lot of fun with it, but I feel like that's like what you're describing, Nathan, times like 10. Yeah. It probably is. So, um, so yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I've dominated. Yeah, it's all right. Uh, and by all means, like I'm, I'm happy that you've felt uh, like you've been able to find a uh, means for you to kind of be part of the conversation, considering that you know your experience with the series is a little bit more limited. Uh, have you, by any chance, played any of the more kind of modern or recent games that have borrowed from the Metro Prime series formula, like Star Wars Jedi: Fallen Order, for example? No. Okay. Uh, AJ, did you play Fallen Order? I've... Yeah. It's on Game yeah. Pass, I should. This is the... I think I played it on on Stadia. Yeah, this is the Respawn game. Uh, yes. Set I've... between episodes three and four. I've... I played so... some of that on Stadia, yes. So how is it, uh, just out of curiosity, because I just don't know, how is it... Um... Uh, Metroid, uh, how is it Metroid adjacent or inspired by Metroid? The Prime. design of the planets that you travel between, uh, are very kind of labyrinthian in terms of their layout. Uh, there are abilities that you acquire that increase your jumping ability or provide you with some sort of new ability that allows you to clear obstacles that you couldn't previously. That makes it very kind of item gatey and Metroid like, uh, many of the bosses, uh, and I would say enemy encounters feel very reminiscent of a lot of the enemies that you fight in Metroid prime as well. Like it is, you play that game. It's like, Oh man, clearly these guys loved Metroid prime. Um, and oh yeah, also a lot of scanning and a lot of lore logs as well. That too. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I, I brought that game up just to kind of uh, gauge if like anybody had like hard and strong feelings about that game and how it compared to the Metro Prime games of old and anything that they 
would want that game to uh, rub off on the Metro Prime series or whatnot. Um, you know, I really enjoyed that game, uh, technical issues aside. Um, the, the funny thing about that game is I would say that my biggest qualm with it is something that I don't even know there's necessarily like a lesson to be learned going into the next Metro Prime game, which is that its narrative kind of leaves in a bit of a weird place. It, it definitely very much feels like Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, the first part in a trilogy, which to be fair, Metroid Prime 1 was as well, but Metroid Prime 1 felt like it ended in a much more kind of definitive place, narratively. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I guess if we want to kind of take a tangent and talk a little bit about what we want kind of Metroid Prime 4 to do narratively, um, I'm hoping that whatever Metroid Prime 4 is kind of stands on its own and isn't, you know, doesn't feel like it's sort of like building it exists solely to serve as the first stepping stone in a larger kind of Metro prime universe. What's interesting about it though, is that while we don't know a whole lot about what Metro prime four will be about narratively, uh, one thing we do know is that it will to some degree incorporate a character called Silex, who is a kind of, evil bounty hunter that was actually originally introduced in Metroid Prime Hunters on the DS. He's this weird character that was introduced in that game that kind of was able to survive and make cameo appearances in subsequent Metroid games purely on the value of him looking like a really cool character. Uh, And now supposedly he's going to play a major part in Metroid Prime 4, but I mean, we'll see exactly what role he has in the game, if all. Could, could I make a suggestion about the narrative? Sure. Without knowing anything about the narrative? And By Cozy, as a, di- as a diehard fan, I'm actually curious about your thoughts on this. Why not do a proper reboot of the Metroid Prime series so that you can bring new people in without feeling like they're lost? I mean... Hmm. It's, I mean, my kind of like basic, like top level answer to that is I don't really know if there's even necessarily a need for there to be a reboot considering how thin the story of the Metroid Prime and Metroid overall series is to begin with. Uh, I mean, going into like uh, Metroid Dread, for example, there was actually quite a bit of story that you needed to know uh, to get into that game. But even then, it was like, there's not that much. You, you watch like a three-minute YouTube video and you're kind of good. Um, I mean, I do think I would not be surprised if Metroid Prime 4 ends up not being called Metroid Prime 4. I would not be surprised if they straight up just call it Metroid Prime or the new Metroid Prime or whatever. Um, but have it still like take place after the prior Metroid Prime games and be part of that continuity. Kind of like a God of War. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it's just one of those things where like, I don't really know that you necessarily benefit at this point from kind of completely rebooting it in the way that I feel like we can point to other series and be like, oh man, this really would benefit from a reboot because it's just all over the place and there's too much going on. Okay. All right. Um, Okay. So, so we've, so what about narrative do you want to see? Cause we've seen narrative grow. Um, and 
you can tell like when I went back and played Super Metroid, um, they use very cinematic storytelling like in game, which like really hadn't been done before. And I assume Prime does something similar with that. Yeah, Am I correct. Yeah, I mean, like Metroid Prime, all the Metroid Prime games are not like particularly story intensive, but there are actually like way more cutscenes in those games than people remember. Again, people like to point to Metroid Prime, not Metroid Prime, Metroid Other M as being the big cutscene offender, but the, the Prime games have their fair share of them as well, especially once you get to three. Um, it, like, is this something where you could see inspiration being taken from other games, like a, something like a Bioshock or something? Because in a lot of ways, like from what I hear about Metro Prime, it almost feels like that might have inspired Bioshock to a point or System Shock. Uh, sorry, AJ? No, they, that's an interesting take. Like Metroid inspiring Bioshock. Like I never considered that. I mean, it would make sense. You look even yeah. at the design of something like the Big Daddy, and I feel like there's a very obvious A to B there. The drill eh, that the I Big Daddy... I wouldn't say A to B. There's probably like an A to D, maybe. I'm thinking of like the drill. Like the drill looks very similar to like the conal shape of Samus's arm cannon, for example. Yeah, um, yeah. You're in an isolated environment. You're fighting creatures. Like there's... Um, like that's the one thing about Metroid Super Metroid it felt very barren because there was nothing else there besides the bad guys and that's very much like what BioShock is um and well you definitely have more is there audio diaries I can't remember in BioShock I know there's somebody like yes, you talking to you people do. regularly um but they you have audio diaries ways. and written diaries written diaries as well as you have the two people piped into your ear yeah um that you're uh working with or against um so like is, is there a way to evolve the series to maybe take some inspiration from something like bioshock and bring it into the metroid prime universe Nin I, I feel like nintendo would have to i mean hmm. Met metroid is probably one of the more mature type of game Yep. It doesn't even have to be mature, just more in the way it tells yeah. a story. Yeah. I mean, what, what, you, through audio logs? Through audio logs or how it yeah. goes about, like, I'm not even saying audio logs because necessarily not everybody loves audio logs at this point. It's been yeah. used a lot. Mm -hmm. um, but if they found some unique hook on how to tell a narrative and a story and maybe have more of a through line with it. If they think of this yeah. as like a soft reboot. Yeah. Well, what's funny about it is in trying to look to the future and imagine what Metro Prime 4 could look like, I'm, you know, thinking back to Metroid Dread from last year. And I feel like Metroid Dread, like, deliberately went old school in terms of a, a lot of its design uh, in a lot of ways uh, compared to a lot of, like, other modern metroidvanias that you can point to and i feel like based on that i would not be surprised at all if there are like even no audio diaries in metroid prime 4 i i would not be surprised at all if they straight up are just like nope only written diaries i would also not be surprised if there absolutely 100 are audio diaries in metroid prime 4 but that's one of those like weird like 
design choices that I could see Retro City as being to sort of make a statement of like, hey, this is what Metroid Prime is. This is what makes us different from our other peers in our space. And we're going to make you really believe in it. But maybe I'm totally <laughs> off kilter. That's completely possible. Yeah, I mean, uh, so for context, Metro Prime 3 had voice acting, did not have audio diaries because it was the Wii, and I'd have to imagine it was probably very uh, expensive from a hardware level to like shove a lot of audio diaries on there. And like then from there, there was no other new Metro Prime game on any Nintendo hardware that followed uh, of that same level or higher, so... Like, we never got to kind of see any other developers be like, oh, let's experiment around with the we using free storage and shove a bunch more audio diaries in there. So maybe I'm wrong. Maybe when Metroid Prime 4 comes around, we'll feature more stuff like that that they couldn't do previously. All right. We've talked narrative. We've talked uh, controls. Um, Cozy, you're the big Metroid super fan. Um, what do you want to see for Metroid Prime design, like design wise? Design wise, like, are we talking about more like from a like open world, like the design of the game overall in terms of like traversal, in terms of what you're exploring? Are we talking more from the, like a minutia mm. level in terms of the basic mechanics? The, okay. Let, let let me try and and frame something, and then maybe you can jump off of that. Okay, go for it. AJ. A lot of the a lot of the recent talk of Elden Ring is how it seems to be. Stop me if you've heard this one before. The Breath of the Wild of Souls games. Not in terms of it directly one on one comparing to Breath of the Wild. Or whatever but it they're talking about just kind of the improvements they made kind of refresh a series that may be a little bit stale right or not for everybody and they kind of like open it up for potentially more people to be interested or even invested into it um because breath of the wild love it or hate it nathan did that for zelda it it took Zelda in a new and interesting direction. It made it worse. Um, debatable. Um, Pokemon Legends Arceus did a, a Breath of the Wild-like treatment to the Pokemon formula. They didn't go as far as they could have or even should have, but it still made for a very good kind of Pokemon experience that kind of feels new and feels fresh despite it being at its core kind of the same thing could there be what would the breath of the wild for metroid look like it doesn't necessarily have to be limited to a a big open world so to speak although that would be interesting um what do you what do you think of that so it's funny you bring that up aj because in preparation for 
uh, this podcast. Um, there's a podcast out there called Kiwi Talks uh, with a Z at the end uh, that recently has been going through and interviewing a bunch of people that were formerly involved with Retro Studios and the studio that did Metro Prime Hunters, whose name eludes me. Uh, and in one interview, uh, the host interviews Brian Walker, who did a lot of project management at Retro Studios uh, post-Metro Prime 1. Uh, and in an interview, he actually reveals that one of the original plans for Metro Prime 3 was to have it be almost like a open-world Metroid experience and to have Samus's ship play like a way uh, bigger role in the game. In Metroid Prime 3 mm. proper, Samus's ship occasionally can be called in to help like clear obstructions and occasionally carry certain objects to other locations in the environment. So it's a little bit more involved in, in prior Metroid Prime games, uh, but it's not like a huge component of the experience. Uh, and that ended up not happening because, of course, you know, you had to scope down and accommodate for the we not being very powerful. Um, I'm intrigued to this day by that idea. And I think that's what we're all talking about here. I think my one concern though, is like, how do you kind of balance an open-ended Metroid environment? Because a, a huge component of Metroid prime one through three, a huge component of star Wars Jedi fallen order of Recore of all these other games in this genre is the item gating it is you get this new double jump you get this new uh ice beam this new whatchamacallit and that allows you to open up all these gates that were previously gated uh and kind of explore the environment in new ways that previously weren't possible and i feel like one of the kind of basic tenets of an open world game is that you're not really restricted in that way maybe like you don't start off with, you know, a helicopter or a really big, cool, fast car that can get you around the open world faster, but like you can still theoretically walk uh, to wherever it is that you need to get to even without those um, new upgrades. Hmm. And one thing that's worth, we're talking about Breath of the Wild. One thing that's worth talking about with that game is that game like kind of front loads so many of its, uh, interesting items and upgrades right off the bat. You don't really yeah. spend a lot of time without so many of the basic tools that you need to kind of explore that world. The game hands them to you right out of the gate. Uh, and th there's not really that experience of being like, oh man, all of a sudden, all these new opportunities are opened up uh, in the way that is typical of like the Metroidvania Zelda genre. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Good points. It's something to consider, but I mean, you know, the the people over at Metroid, uh not the people over at Metroid. Yep. The people at over Metroid. at yep. Retro Samus Studios. Herself. At it's Retro Metroid, Studios. The character, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's her, that's that's his name, Metroid. Well, yeah. if you, if you've played uh Metroid Dread spoilers, that uh title actually makes more sense. Um yeah, the people over at Retro Studios, you know, are a pretty smart bunch. I wouldn't put it past them to kind of figure out uh, what a open world Metroid Prime game looks like. It's just, it's one of those things where I think a lot of people get really excited at the prospect of like, oh man, an open world Metroid game. But I don't really know what, if that actually a thousand percent makes perfect sense. Um, but maybe I'm wrong. 
if anybody out there is listening during or after the fact and wants to kind of pipe in with some examples that kind of disprove what I'm saying, by all means, I'm all ears, but it doesn't immediately register to me as like, oh man, this is a great idea. Gotcha. Nathan, are you like, do you still want to see him give the idea of an open world Metro game a shot? Yeah, I wouldn't mind. Like, honestly, I think that could intrigue me a little more if it was open world. Um, I like the, well, I guess, how do you think about an open world game? Because in a lot of ways, if you look at Super Metroid, that is kind of an open world game. Uh, eh. I mean, if you really think about it, all Metroids are open world games, the way it, it's sort of... I mean, it's an, it, the, way, the way you can always backtrack if you need to. And then the way it's just, you know, moving to the next quote unquote area, you just need a specific ability, right? Yeah. I, I would use like interconnected as opposed to open. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Maybe that's fair. Um, but yeah, no, I'd, I'd like a open world um, Metroid. I think that could be a good time. And I think... Um, Maybe for the Metroidvania aspects, make it make a little more sense. We've seen games use that open world formula-ish in Metroidvania style games. Um, I guess maybe Ark is Arkham Asylum open world. That's uh, not not Asylum City, city maybe, is. but then City but, has you going night, into dungeons. Night definitely. Yeah. Yeah, it, Ar- Arkham. I guess uh, unfortunately, I've not played Arkham City. I guess it's like probably the best example that some people might point to of like what a open world Metro Prime game could reasonably look like. Did either of you play Arkham City? Oh yeah, I I played Arkham City, but ne- never got all the way through it. I got I, close. I made the I mistake of. Yeah, I made the mistake of starting Arkham City on too hard of a difficulty and uh, got frustrated with it. Um, so uh, yeah, I'm just we'll looking see. for the release date of Arkham City. Arkham City came out 2011, right? Yep. October 18th, 2011. And by November 11th, 2011, I was playing a very different game. Uh-huh. Skyrim. Yeah. Also Uncharted? Uncharted came out. Yep, that came out in November of 2011 as well. Yep, Uncharted three. Yeah, that was um, a big year. Speaking of open world, yeah, yeah. So I think I got pulled away from Arkham City near the end. Uh, also, the amount of Riddler trophies kind of made me not want to keep playing it. I, I like completing things, and but when there's like 400 different Riddler trophies, I think it's worse in Night. Um. But yeah, I'd like to see, like, for the most part, the formula for Arkham City was great. Mm -hmm. You travel to all the different things, areas in the open um, world, but then you'd enter, like, essentially dungeons inside those worlds. I think that formula could work well. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Um, Cozy, I guess, I feel like we're spinning tires now. Is there anything else you want to talk about in terms of what you want out of a Metroid 4? 
you know, one, one thing that we haven't really kind of talked about, um, that, I mean, I, feel, I guess it's sort of connected to what we just talked about because it has to do with the scale of the experience. Um, but I, I also will admit that this is a little bit indulgent and not necessarily like the most important thing to probably discuss in talking about what Metroid Prime 4 should be. Um, the thing about the uh, Metroid series is that typically, typically most of the games tend to take place entirely within one planet or like one section of a planet. Uh, that was the case with Metroid Prime 1. That was the case with Metroid Prime 2, Super Metroid, Fusion, Dread, Zero Mission. Uh, however, it was not the case with Metro Prime Hunters and Metro Prime 3. Those two games were unique in that they allowed you to uh, travel from planet to planet, uh, which is something, as previously mentioned, that uh, Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order also featured. And okay. uh, I'm going to be really interested in seeing uh, what route they go through with uh, Metroid Prime 4. Earlier I was talking about how like I could see a reality in which they don't feature audio diaries at all because they want to put a foot down and say this is Metroid Prime or I could see them totally feature audio diaries because they want to get with the times. Like I could see equally 50-50 a reality where the entire game takes place on one planet because it's a very traditional Metroid move to do or I could see them be like we're going across multiple planets because we really want to make the player feel like they're exploring a wild, vast, interconnected galaxy. Um, mm. But I know that there are some people that feel very kind of prickly about that because they like the very kind of interconnected nature of the Metroid games. And when you're traveling from planet to planet, like that kind of bottlenecks a lot of that interconnectedness. Hmm. Okay. Could could Nintendo Nintendo will never do it, <gasps> but with the I think it's upcoming. I don't think it's out yet. Uh, release of No Man's Sky on the Switch. Do you think that could inspire future Metroid gameplay in any way? Hmm, that's an interesting idea. I feel like. I would not put it past Nintendo to be like, hey, we're trying something a little bit experimental. We have a new um, like Metroid Prime spinoff game to announce where you're going to these procedurally uh, developed there, planets. What was that Toys to Life game where they had like the Star Fox in it? But uh, oh, Starlink. Uh, Battle of Atlas? Or Starlink. Something yeah. Atlas. Yeah, Star Starlink, Starlink Battle for Atlas. Yeah. That was some of that procedurally generated, or am I misremembering? I don't remember. <laughs> Unfortunately, I, yeah, that was the one Toys to Life thing that I just completely sailed by. I uh, hmm. never played the game ever. But <gasps> well, what's Nathan about to reveal? I do have this covered in cobwebs oh. and everything. Whoa! Uh, oh boy, check the it out. The dollar store. For whatever reason, the dollar store was selling the packages of those games with the Arwen in it, but no game. <laughs> Somebody That's taking the games sure. out and they were just selling the like and nobody the was the box was not labeled. So if you bought it, you might think you were getting it. 
Huh. Um, but uh, I just Wait. bought it for five bucks because I knew it was getting uh, an Erwin. When you bought it from the dollar store, were you aware that you weren't getting the game? Like, you didn't get duped, right? I don't think I knew I wasn't getting the game. I had no intention of playing the game. Okay. So I don't think I was heartbroken. I was never going to plug it in. I literally was looking to, at some point, buy that for dirt cheap because it was such a fail. And I wanted that specific version just so I could have the R-Wing on my shelf. Hmm. So. uh, Good idea. Yeah. To, to loop back around to what you were originally mentioning, I don't believe that that game was procedurally generated. I think you might there be was thinking something about that something that was. Yeah, there was. I, I swear there was something that that was kind of procedurally generated on the Switch that was involved some sort of like sp- space flight or something. Specifically um, on the I'm, Switch or on the Wii U? I on the on on the Switch. I think it came out on the Switch. What I'm thinking of. I don't remember. But we get the idea. Yeah. I mean, the problem is, is that I don't like flight has typically not been a huge component of the Metroid games. Uh, There was on the Wii U uh, Nintendo Land, uh, which had a Metroid minigame in which you could pilot Samus's ship and fly around in it. Uh, But that was a very small component of that game. And obviously a very small component of the Metroid series as a whole. But I would not be opposed to, like, again, a, like, spinoff Metroid Prime game where you're traveling to procedurally generated planets and, like, exploring and harvesting resources. I feel like Nintendo would need to be very kind of careful and sparing in their use of that. Because I think that there is the potential for major danger if their entire game is like all these procedurally generated environments. I think that whatever the next big Metroid game needs to be, it needs to be something that feels and is lovingly kind of handcrafted. Um, But I wouldn't be opposed to at least some of that at some point down the road. Good pregnant pause there. Perfect. Excellent. I was I was disappointed. I thought I was concerned that somebody was going to interrupt it, AJ, and I was disappointed that you did so. Uh, well, you know, that's that's what they call me, Mister Disappointment. So I, I, I'm not going to lie. I'm looking at Nathan right now. I was really concerned, also, like really concerned, actually, that Nathan had uh, frozen and his computer has crashed, and we were going to be without a host for the rest of the show. But uh, I don't think we have like much show left is, to host. It's fair. All right. Perfect. Nathan, are you, you seem to be deep in concentration looking for something. Are you okay? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Sorry. I got focused on a work thing. I got through an email. Oh, Uh, okay. So sorry. My apologies. Not a problem. Um, No, no, we, I was, I was concerned, Nathan, that you were like looking deeply to try to find some information about Starlink battle for Atlas. And I was about to say like, Nathan, it's okay. We don't need to look deeply into the history and gameplay of Starlink battle for Atlas. We can leave that be. I definitely don't have its Wikipedia page open and I definitely didn't look at that. (laughs) All right. And we'll take your word for it. Yep. Definitely didn't do any of that. So yeah. Um, moving on if we don't need I'm going to close this Wikipedia page of something that I was looking at um, what could right. it be 
It's a mystery. It is a mystery. Uh, okay. So I guess, how do we wrap up this segment? Like, what's our wrap up? Make more Metroid. Make a, make, make a Metroid Prime. They just made a Metroid. We need to be more specific. Make a even, Metroid Prime. Even still. Even still. Um, it's been since 2007 for the last one. So you've had ample time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. In uh, five years, it'll be... So it's 15 years ago, the last one. In five years, it'll be 20 years since the last one that was released. Yeah, 13 years if you count the Metroid Prime trilogy. Mm. Seven years if you count Metroid Prime Federation Force on the 3DS. Do we count that one? No. I I do remember that one. No. It's part of the canon. Uh, Silex, the person who's supposedly going to be the enemy in Metroid Prime 4, makes a cameo appearance in that game. Just want to confirm, AJ, are you saying... You don't remember it, or you say, or you say no because you're trying not to remember it. Trying really hard not to remember it. Okay, just want uh, to clarify that. To close out, I'll I'll try and kind of keep this uh, short and sweet. I just want to say, yeah, like you know, we talked a lot about what we want out of the next uh, Metroid Prime game over the course of the past hour. We spent a lot of the past hour not even necessarily talking about the design of the games themselves and what we want out of the next one, and more just about the weird kind of cultural perception of this game or lack thereof and how it's like this really beloved game that is also kind of invisible to a lot of people. I think like the onus is on Nintendo and retro to really kind of like advertise the crap out of this game and make sure that people really know it's here. Um, Sales numbers recently came out uh, about Metroid Dread and Metroid Dread uh, sold pretty well. It's on track. If not, it is already usurped uh, Metroid Prime 1 in terms of sales and is the most uh, best-selling Metroid game uh, at the moment. Um, But it didn't, like, the kind of general consensus is it didn't quite break out of the Metroid Prime series' kind of, like, more niche space that it has existed in forever. Um, And so I'm hoping that Metroid Prime 4 will, like, take... Uh, Metroid Dread's good momentum and really kind of run with it and really truly break out of that niche space. All right. Cool. All right. Well, that wraps up our thoughts of Metroid Prime. Maybe it'll be Nintendo's next breakout hit like Animal Crossing New Horizons and sell 30 million copies on the Switch. Oh, man. I hope. Um, but that being said, we are very far away from that because at this point it's vaporware. Um, it's, we haven't seen it since 2017. So Nintendo, that's not true. The way we started off this conversation, Nathan is retro studios got a new Twitter banner. It's not complete vaporware. If you got a new Twitter banner, (laughs) I guess that's true. true. Still haven't heard from it in a Nintendo fashion since 2017. Besides the fact that they were taking away it from the one developer and giving it to Retro. So give us some information this year. Make us interested. Uh, who Those of us who haven't played it. Find a hook for us. Um, but I'm excited to see what that looks like. In the meantime, thank you for tuning in to Press YYZ. 
If you enjoyed this broadcast, be sure to follow us on Twitch, subscribe to us on YouTube, and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. You can also check us out on uh, Twitter at PressYYZ, slide into our Discord at invite.gg slash PressYYZ to keep the conversation going. Until next time, thanks for playing, guys. All right. Ka-chow. So, I'm going to stop recording.